Good morning, Keystone. Uh, you can turn to Genesis 15 if you want to. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning in verses 1 through 18. Uh, I know it's kind of weird because Keith just started a new series last week on parenting, uh, but we're going to start something else today, and then Keith will be back next week to continue that series on parenting. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, or I do wonder, how many people in here have ever met someone famous in their life before? Uh, I think it'd be interesting if we could kind of take a a live poll and find out who are all the famous people uh, that people in this room have come across in their life. My my only claim to meeting someone famous is that I I met Nick Foles at a book signing uh, after he won the Super Bowl. So not, not a really big deal. But there's something about meeting someone famous that I think sticks with us for the rest of our lives even that we meet lots of people throughout our lives, but many of them we forget. Uh, We might even forget their names, not remember at all, but there's something about meeting someone famous that sticks with us. And I think how much more would it be the case if we met in some way at some point, God in a visible presence before us. This is something that we see happening in the Old Testament to multiple different people where God shows up in a visible way to them. And they remember it not just because he's showing up, but because these these encounters are kind of odd and strange and a little bit weird. And so it sticks with them. And it's God ultimately revealing himself, teaching us about him, as well as preparing us for the day when he ultimately reveals himself and comes as a man. And so for three weeks, uh, starting today and then not picking back up until end of November and beginning of December, uh, I want to have us look at three of these encounters. And we're going to start today with Abram's encounter uh, with God in Genesis 15. I'll just warn you in advance, uh, I'm going to say Abram or Abraham a lot. It's really hard for me to remember. This is Abram in Genesis 15. His, His name hasn't changed yet. And as I was even typing up my notes, I had to keep reminding myself, no, 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 not Abraham, Abram in this passage. So... I'll just let you know now, uh, I'm going to mess that up a lot this morning. But Genesis 15, uh, verse 1, and we'll go up to verse 18. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Then the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon." So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. 
As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. Let's pray. God, thank you that you, uh, just as you promised Abram, that you are with him, that you are his protector, and that you will reward him. So you promise us that you are with us and for us. God, remind us that we have nothing good apart from you. Remind us that you are trustworthy in every situation in this life, even in the situations that cause us to ask, can we trust you? Will you come through? Will you hold on to us? Will you be there for us? That in those moments, you are still trustworthy and we can still hold on to you. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Uh, I pray that we would walk out these doors uh, worshiping you because you've met us again this morning and spoken to us through your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've watched as someone has stood in a place Uh, turned around, looked back, and then fell back into thin air. In fact, I've I've actually watched it happen multiple times. And I'm guessing you've seen it happen as well. And I'm guessing you've actually done that very thing yourself. What am I I describing there? Talking about the the thing we would call a a trust fall, right? Where someone stands there, looks back, makes sure someone's going to catch them, and then simply falls back. At the youth retreat, On the small ropes course, uh, we do this sometimes, but we kind of up the stakes. So there's a platform that's probably about four and a half, five feet off the ground, uh, and students will climb up onto it, look back, and then fall back into the arms of people who are waiting to catch them. I don't actually do it myself uh, because I've seen some horrifying videos of the previous youth pastor, Brandon, being dropped. Uh, In fact, I actually have one of those videos that you can see here this morning. Yeah, yeah, I have good reason for not doing that trust fall. I think it would be interesting if, if we could somehow freeze time in that moment between when someone decides they're gonna fall back and the moment where they're actually caught and we could just kind of freeze time. I would guess that a lot of people at some point have this question that goes through their mind of, is the person or the people behind me really going to catch me or am I about to fall flat on my back? And I think that's an image of what Abram is wrestling with in this passage. That in the gap between what he knows of God, what God's promised and his reality, his circumstances, he's asking God, can I really trust you or am I about to fall flat on my back? And I think it's a question we all still ask at certain times in our lives. 
Whether you're, whether you're not a Christian yet and, and you're thinking, I, I don't know whether I can really trust this God that people talk about, or whether you've been a Christian for 60 years and you're still wrestling at times with, can I trust God in the midst of this? That there are times in our lives where we ask, can I really trust him or is he going to let me drop flat on my back? That, that maybe it's some problem that just feels overwhelming to you and, and you wonder, can I really trust God to help me through this? Or maybe it is some big decision that you've got and you're wrestling with, if I decide this, can I really trust God to come through for me or is he going to drop me? Or maybe it's just thinking about the future and the concerns of the future. I'm wondering, is he really going to, I know he came through in the past, but is he really going to come through if this happens or if that happens or this goes through? Or maybe it's just in the midst of suffering and we wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Does he really have me? Does he, is he holding on to me? Am I really even going to get through this? Or is he going to drop me in the midst of this? Abram is more familiar with this gap, I think, than anyone else. Because in the passage we read, it's been 10 years since he left everything comfortable, his family, his home, and went to this place God told him to go. Because God promised, I'm going to give you uh, great descendants, and I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to use you to bless the world. And now it's been 10 years and Abraham doesn't even have one child. And it's been 10 years and Abraham doesn't even own an acre of land. He's still just a wandering immigrant. And he's wondering, can I trust God? One person says, they said, the gap between what God has promised and the reality he saw with his own eyes appeared as wide as ever. But I think it's in this passage that God shows he can be trusted in every gap. But the the big idea this morning is that God can be trusted in the gaps. And so my my goal for this morning and looking back through this passage is to point out what two things that the gaps lead us to do and then show how this passage teaches us that God can be trusted no matter how big the gap is between what he's promised and the reality that we're facing. So so let's start first of all with what, what does this passage teach us about how the gaps lead us to do or what they lead us to do. First of all, I think the gaps lead us to ask questions. This passage, I think, could be summed up, if we just want to give a short summary to it, as Abram asks questions and God gives answers. That's what's driving this passage. But what's interesting, I think, is that God is the one who actually kind of invites or initiates Abram's questions. So he shows up and he says, fear not, Abram. And we've got to ask, well, What is Abram uh, afraid of in this scenario? There's no obvious thing right away, but as we go along, we see it's Abram's afraid of, God's not really gonna come through. He hasn't given me a child yet. He hasn't given me the land. He's not really gonna come through. And so God says, fear not. I will protect you. I will give you a reward. In other words, I'll be with you. I'll be for you. And that opens the door for Abram to ask his questions, to air his grievances. And and just think think about that for a minute, how that, teaches us, even at the start, God is trustworthy. A, a person who's not trustworthy doesn't invite questions. They, they dodge questions. They avoid questions. They, they squash questions. I, I mean, th- think if, imagine that you were living 60 years ago in communist Soviet Union, and you started to ask questions like, why aren't things better? Why is there so much poverty and suffering? Why, why aren't things like our leaders have said they should be? You ask those questions long enough, you'll, you'll get shut up. 
But we see God's not some sort of dictator that says, don't ask your questions, just blindly trust me, that, that he invites questions, and that it's actually through those questions God deepens our trust in him. Because Abram's questions open the opportunity for God to say, no, remember what I promised you. And in fact, let's go outside and look up at the stars. And Abram, if you can count these stars, which you can't, but if you could, then you'd be able to count how many descendants you're going to have down the road. And I think it's even this reminder of God saying, remember who put those stars there in the first place. Remember who's powerful enough to hold them there. Remember it's me. And therefore, I can bring a child to you, descendants to you, even though you're old and your wife is very old too. See, God uses questions to deepen our trust in him, I think. Uh, That's the, the first kind of takeaway I want us to just realize this morning is that it's good for us to ask questions of God. It's good for us to ask questions because it helps us grow in our trust or our faith in God. I mean, think for yourself. Think, think back to maybe your process of becoming a Christian or significant times of growing in your faith. I would guess it involved you asking questions. How can I know God? How can I know that the Bible is true? How can I know that he's going to provide for me? Why does he still let me go through suffering? What is, how does he want me to live? What does he want me to do in this scenario? That to grow in your faith probably involved questions. And God's showing us in this again. It's good for us to ask questions. It's good for us to ask questions. Or I think if you're someone who's like searching for God and you don't know, I don't know if I believe all this that people say about God, He wants you to ask questions. He's not saying just blindly trust me, ask questions. If you've got children or teens, welcome their questions, encourage their questions because it's through questions that God disciples us and helps us to grow in faith. And I think the gaps between what we expect God to do or what we say he's promised to do and our reality lead us more than ever to ask questions just like they did for Abram. Those gaps also, I would say, lead us to rely on or stand on God's promises. That's the the second point I want us to see as we look at Abram's story here this morning. In verse six, we're told, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This is a verse that Paul's gonna pick up in the New Testament to point out, hey, you are made right with God only by faith, not by your works. The same way that, Abram was saved and made right by God. But in this context, it also also shows us that the ground for Abraham trusting God in this moment was what God promised. That specifically in the gap, when Abram's asking, can I trust God, even though there's such a massive gap between what I think he should do and what's happening, what enabled him to continue trusting God was what God promised to him. What God promised to him. That's all God's doing in this passage is reassuring him, Abram, I'll come through for you. I made this promise to you. Now, I think that has a really important implication for us. And I think the implication is, do we actually know what God has promised us? Are we actually aware of, standing on, promises that God's made to us in the Bible? Because I think sometimes for myself, or maybe all of us, we walk throughout this life with just a vague or false understanding of what God's promised. We we don't even know or we don't even think about it. 
and in the gaps, that's a really bad thing because we need ground to stand on that we can say, God has promised me this and I'm going to rely on it even though life is really confusing right now and even though my circumstances are crazy right now. We need solid ground to be able to stand on. I, where, where I grew up, we had a pond that was um, close to our house that over the summer we would go swimming in the pond uh, despite the fact that there were snapping turtles and snakes that we killed out of that pond. Uh, and over the winter, when it froze, we would go ice skating on it. We'd play hockey. Uh, us, our family, our friends, and all the local Amish would go out and play ice hockey. But there was a very strict rule about skating on the pond. And the rule was we couldn't go on to it until my dad made sure that the ice was thick enough, that it was sure enough for us to stand on. Now, there, there are probably better ways to figure out how thick the ice is and whether it's safe or not, but what my dad would do is he'd start at the most, the, the most shallow end uh, and work his way out to the center, and all he'd do is jump, right? And, and if it cracked too much, it's not safe. I never really understood there was these things called safety cracks, so it was good when it cracked sometimes, uh, but also bad if it cracked too much, so I never really got that, but I simply said, trusted, all right, my dad said it's safe, he's jumped on it, I'm going to go skate on it, I believe him. It would have been really foolish for me as a, a seven-year-old to see ice on that pond and go skating right out onto it without any grasp of, is it thick enough, is it sure enough, has my dad tested it out? And I think it is dangerous of us, foolish of us, to go throughout this life without any sure grasp of here are some things God has promised me that I'm going to stand on no matter what. No matter what. And I think that's a, a takeaway again for us this morning is have promises that you can stand on. Have prom know what God has promised you. Memorize some of those promises. Highlight them in your Bible when God makes promises. Not, not that you're going to know all of them, but do you have certain ones that you can grab onto in the midst of gaps and say, I, God's promised this. I'm going to stand on this because I know it's sure ground to stand on. I think of just a couple examples that I, I would give you for myself. Uh, J or Joshua 1.9 and Isaiah 41.10 are verses that are often rolling around in my head when I'm fearful of something coming up. That God's saying, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm the Lord your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will help you. Okay, God will help me, even though this seems so intimidating or fearful. I think of Romans 8.28, which I know can be maybe overused or cliche sometimes, but when we are going through suffering, to be able to stand on God works all things together for the good of those who love him. I may not know how, I may not know why, but I'm going to stand on that because God's promised it. Or another one for me is 2 Corinthians 12.9, that when I feel overwhelmed in life, that, that when I don't sleep at all some night and I've got a busy day the next day, to be able to remember God has said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I mean, when I feel weak, that gives me hope. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Do you have promises like that that you grab onto, that roll around your head, that, that you can stand on in the midst of the gaps in your life? Because I say, if not, you, you should. You should have those promises that you can grab onto.
The, the other thing we see here is actually that uh, God uses promises not only as the ground for our trust, but God uses his fulfillment of those promises as the fuel for our trust. Look, look again at verse seven and what God says to Abram as he is talking. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. What's he saying? It's like, Abraham, look at where I've already brought you from. I brought you this far. I sustained you through a famine. I helped you when you were fighting five other kings. I've been there for you in the past. I'll be there for you in the future, right? Or or think of the first people who would have read this passage. We, We believe Genesis was written by Moses, so it was written to the Israelites. So they're the first ones who are reading this. And think about what's said in verses 13 through 16 and how that might have fueled their faith that they look at and said, oh, God said, we're going to be in slavery for 400 years. And then he's going to deliver us from that slavery. And he's going to take us out with great wealth. And he's going to give us this land. And, and he did that. He will come through. It could have been used to fuel their own trust. Or I think, think of uh, why Paul says the entire Old Testament was written in Romans 15.4. Uh, I think I have it up there. Maybe not. Uh, but he says, this has been written for you, for your hope, for your faith, for your endurance, that all these passages in the Old Testament are meant to show us God has fulfilled his promises. He's been good. He's been faithful. He will continue to do it in the future. I, I think of a story uh, Russell Moore has told, an author. Uh, he, he's, he adopt, him and his wife adopted two children from Russia, from an orphanage in Russia. And he talks about how when those children initially came into his home, he watched as every mealtime, they would take food and they'd actually hide it. They'd hide it in certain places because they didn't know, is there actually going to be another meal or when is the next meal going to be? And he talks about how over time they stopped doing that because they realized, oh yeah, these parents take care of us. They give us a meal. There's more coming. We don't have to try to hoard this other stuff. They can be trusted. And I think that's the image of the more we see God fulfilling his promises, coming through for us, coming through for other people, can be used to fuel our trust. I think the, the takeaway, the application for us out of that is we should share stories that fuel or that demonstrate how God has been faithful, that we should fuel our trust in God with stories of how he's been faithful. There's something powerful about hearing someone else say, I was in the midst of a gap. I didn't know that God was going to come through. I didn't know if he was going to help me. And he did. And here's how. That when I hear someone else sharing a story like that, it fuels my trust in God saying, if he can do that for someone else, then he can take care of me in this situation. And that if you or I have stories of, here's how God's been faithful. Here's a problem I was facing, something in my life I was facing, and I didn't know if he was going to help me. I didn't know if he was going to come through. And here's how he helped me. Or or here was some suffering I was walking through, and I didn't know, is God really going to carry me? Is he really going to hold on to me in this? And here's how I look back and see he did. That if you have those stories, they're meant to be shared not simply to bring glory to God, although that's a huge part of it, but to fuel trust in other people and other Christians. And it's one of the great things about our Thanksgiving Eve service at Keystone 
is that's exactly what happens. People stand up and they share stories of, here's how God's been faithful to glorify God, but also to help the rest of us say, okay, he can be trusted. That's right. I know that. He was faithful to you. He will be faithful to me. Now, we see in the story how the gaps lead us to ask questions, how they lead us to rely on God's promises. But we haven't actually answered the first question we ask, right? Can he be trusted? Because I, I don't want to rely on his promises unless I know he can be trusted. Can he really be trusted? And this is where we've got to look at verses 8 through 11 and 17 through 18 and say, what in the world is happening here? Animals are getting cut in half. Abram's on the, sleep, on the ground half asleep in terror. There's a smoking pot and a flaming torch walking around. What is happening here? I mean, maybe you read that and you feel kind of like I felt the first time I watched a field hockey game. There's whistles everywhere. I don't know why we're blowing the whistle. What is, someone show me what is happening here. I, I don't understand this. And we've got to ask that question about this because the Israelites would have read this and immediately understood what is happening here. What's happening here is God is kind of doing like what we would do when we sign a contract today. It's a little different, but it gives us a context at least. So think of if you've ever bought a house or if you do buy a house one day, the bank will give you a mortgage to pay for that house. But they want to know, are you going to pay that mortgage back? And so they'll look into uh, how much money do you make? How much money do you have coming in each year? How much money do you have in the bank? What's your credit score? And other things as well to know, are you able to pay this back? But even with all that information, they still have the question of, how do we know you're going to pay this back? And so to do that, you have to sign all sorts of paper, right? You gotta give your signature saying, I will pay this back. And if I don't, there are consequences. I may lose the house. My credit score may drop. I may, I may never be able to get another mortgage again or even rent it. Like, there are consequences if I don't come through on my word. God is doing this to answer Abram's question, how do I know that you can be trusted? And he's doing it by making a covenant. And so in, in this time, you don't simply sign a contract, you act out, here's what's going to happen if I don't fulfill my promises and don't come through for you. Here's what's gonna happen. You see these animals, they're cut in half. Well, let me walk through them to demonstrate that if I don't come through for you, I'm gonna be cut in half just like these animals on either side of me. Turns out that covenants were a little bit more effective than our contracts. There's something a little bit more powerful about seeing animals cut in half than about simply giving our signature. And Abram gets this all laid out, and then what do we see happening? A flaming torch and a smoking pot going through, which is the exact same words to describe God's presence when he shows up on Mount Sinai in Exodus uh, 19. The exact same words. And this is God walking through the animals. See, God is giving a guarantee to Abraham. God is guaranteeing his trustworthiness in the gaps to Abram as well as to us. Th think back again with me to what we talked about at the start, a trust fall. I think if you have uh, two junior high boys who are doing trust falls, 
one of them who's maybe doing the fall might look back and think, I don't really think that guy's going to catch me. I don't trust him, right? Because if I was back there, I'd probably drop myself. And so he might ask, how do I know you're not going to drop me? And it's junior high boys, so the other one in the back might say something like, if I drop you, you can punch me as hard as you want. Right? And all of a sudden, the, the other one in the front says, oh, okay, I, I've got a guarantee. Like, th this guy has some skin in the game. I get to punch, he, he's going to get hurt if he drops me, uh, so I can trust him. God is telling Abram in this passage, if I drop you, if I don't come through for you, if I don't fulfill my promises to you, it's not that you can punch me as hard as you want, it's that I'll be torn apart, that I'll literally become undone, that I will be like these animals and I will die. Think about how incredible that is. Everything else in our lives that we might trust to get us through this life, to get us through gaps, lets us down, drops us. You put your trust in your own wisdom or your own strength, it will drop you at some point. You put your trust in other people's opinions and what they say about you, it will drop you at some point. You put your trust in money, it will drop you at some point. You put your trust even in a spouse or a close friend, at some point they will drop you. And God is saying, I will never drop you no matter what, because if I do, it's the end of me. I will become undone. Now, that, that's not the only incredible part of this, though. The other incredible part is Abram could have just as easily asked, how do I know I won't screw this up? How do I know that I'll keep trusting you? How do I know that I won't make a mess of this scenario, that you won't get sick of me and just decide I'm done with you, Abram? How do I know? Because that's exactly what Abram does do. His life is not simply a highlight reel of faith. It's a highlight reel of faith and failures. The very next chapter, he sleeps with his wife's servant, and then when she's pregnant, sends her in a situation that could get her killed because he's not trusting in God's promises in that moment. Later on, for the second time, he's going to give his wife to another man out of fear that they might kill me if they think I'm married to her because he's not trusting in God's promises again. And so Abram would have good reason to say, how do I know that I'm not going to screw this up? How do I know I'm not going to screw this up? And what's interesting is God doesn't make Abram walk through, right? In this passage, where's Abram? He's on the ground, half asleep, in terror, weak, can't do anything. And God's saying, not only am I going to come through for you, not only am I going to be faithful to you, but even when you screw up, even when you don't trust me in the gaps, even when you make a mess of things, I'm still going to stick by your side. My trustworthiness does not depend on how much you trust me. My trustworthiness does not depend on how well you're obeying me in that moment. My trustworthiness depends on me and me alone. So much so, Abram, that one day I am going to be torn apart, right? Not because I didn't keep my end of the deal, not because I wasn't faithful to you, but because you and everyone else who ever lived wasn't faithful to their part. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to perfectly obey. I'm going to perfectly trust myself in the midst of all the gaps. And then I'm going to be torn apart for your sake, right? This, this is the gospel. This is what Christ does when he comes. This is what this passage is pointing forward to, that one day God is literally going to be torn apart. Jesus is going to have his flesh torn from his body, die, come undone, 
so that God can remain faithful and true to his promises to save us, to care for us, to protect us, to not drop us no matter what. What else would convince us God is trustworthy in the gaps? What else would convince us we can go to him with all our questions and not be afraid that he's going to shake his fist at us and say, just believe me. What else would convince us that we can stand on his promises and say, I know this is true, and he'll come through? What else would say God fulfills his promises than that? Uh, I think of uh, skydiving. We started with trust fall, let's end with skydiving. Uh, I've never been skydiving in my, in my life either, but I, I understand there's two ways that you could go skydiving for your first time. One is that you can go through like a five to six hour class, have them teach you all sorts of things, and then you jump out on your own, but you have an instructor over the, uh, over the radio guiding you the whole time. And so you're getting to the ground safely ultimately depends on, do I trust that person or not? And if midair I decide, I don't know that I trust them, well, you're in trouble, right? You're in trouble because now you're going to do something wrong and you might hit that ground pretty hard. The other way to go skydiving for the first time is that an experienced instructor literally binds himself to you, straps you into him or her, jumps out of the plane, and does everything to get you from the gap of that plane to the ground below. And so if midair you start to think, I don't know if I trust this person, it really doesn't matter in that moment because that instructor's fate is bound up with your fate. I don't know about you. If I ever go skydiving, I want that. I want someone bound to me, someone who says, I'm going to get you there because my fate is held up in your fate. And I want a God who says, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to be trustworthy because my fate is literally bound up with your fate because I've tied myself to you in Christ and I'm not going to let you go. That no matter what the circumstances are that you're in, I will carry you through. That, that no matter what problem you have, I'm going to carry you through. That, that no matter what suffering you're in, I'm going to carry you through. That, that no matter what decision you're going to make, I'm going to carry you through. Why? Because I guaranteed it thousands of years ago to Abraham and 2,000 years ago to you when I was torn apart for your sake and I bound myself to you. I'm going to come through. You can trust me. Let's pray. God, thank you that our fate, our uh, outcome in this life is not ultimately in our hands. It's in your hands because we put our faith in Christ. And so whether our faith wavers or strong, you will hold on to us. You will carry us through. That, that whatever problem we face, whatever circumstance, whatever suffering, you remind us, I am trustworthy. You may not see what I'm doing. You may not understand it. You may not grasp it all, but you can trust me. And God, I pray that in the midst of whatever we're facing right now, big problems, small problems, suffering, no suffering, whatever it is, we would look again to the cross and say, yes, you can be trusted, God, and we're going to stand on that and that alone. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.